Father, we sing those words, and Lord, I pray we hear them. You have not given up on us. And Father, I pray that we would know that you are searching for us, that nothing will keep you from us. Father, I pray that as we hear these words today, they would be heard from your mouth. I pray, Lord, your spirit would speak through me and despite the sin that is in me. I pray, Lord, that whatever it is that we need rescued from, we would be encouraged today by your truth, by your word. I pray, Lord, you would comfort those who need comforting, convict those who need convicting, but move us all to be more than just hearers of this word, but to be doers of this word. We ask this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said... Well, just to echo what Joe was saying, I mean, the amount of presents that are up here is awesome. And just thank you guys for being so faithful um, in doing this. This is going to bless so many families who would otherwise have the opportunity to get so many great gifts. So, so thank you very much. So today is our first Sunday of Advent, but it is not the kickoff to Christmas. Because as we know, the kickoff to Christmas started in October. If you have been in any retail store since October on, they have had trees up and decorations up and presents and sales and all of those things. And we know who some of you are, though you won't raise your hands. We know some of you have been playing Christmas music since October. Many of you have been decorated since, I don't know, early November as Sarah raises her hand with great pride. Um, many of you have got your presents wrapped in under the tree already. Won't name any names, Sailor Ryan. So it is amazing how some people are, are just all in on that. And really as a culture, it's amazing how we just essentially lose our minds at Christmas, and uh, we also lose our budget at Christmas, and so I wanted to give you some facts about what we do. So last year, in 2018, our sales surpassed $1 trillion at Christmas, 28% of U.S. shoppers start their Christmas in November, 62% of Americans buy their gifts the week before Christmas, the average household spent $1,500 during Christmas, 23% of shoppers rely on social media to help them make the right choice. 14%, this one I don't understand, 14% of Americans sell their possessions to fund Christmas spending. I'm not sure about that. 27 trees were sold in 2017. Nearly half of Americans don't buy Christmas decorations. 46% of people have lied about liking a gift. So you know who you are. You know which of you are lying about that. Uh, 47% of ladies would like jewelry. Make a mental note of that, guys. 32% of men want gift vouchers. And 51% of Christmas shoppers buy gifts for themselves. And you know you've done it, so don't even lie about it. It is amazing. Everywhere we look, from October to today to Black Friday to all of the mailing inserts to the people who camp out at three in the morning to kind of get the best deals. It's amazing what happens. And we have been somehow overwhelmed to think that Christmas is a retail holiday. And we can buy into it. All of the sales and the deals and the shopping, all of those things. But Christmas is not about retail. Christmas is about rescue. 
It's about how God is rescuing his people. It's about how God is rescuing the world. And if we can somehow just push aside for a minute the clutter of all of the retail demands and retail bombardment that we get, we will have a chance to rediscover something so powerful about Christmas that it will change your Christmas. And that is we will rediscover joy. I want to encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 9. If you've got it on your phone, bring it up. Let's read along together with the Word of God. Because when you read the Word of God, the Word of God reads you as well. So we're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah, a prophet of God. The book of Isaiah is so big that you could take all of the minor prophets and Isaiah would still be bigger. The people of God have once again found themselves being lovingly disciplined by God because they have been disobedient, because they've turned their back on God. They've decided not to be all in when loving God. And so we're going to start at uh, verse 1 of chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is a very familiar text this time of year. It's one of those texts that points us to the Messiah. And it's a text that helps us understand that the people were living in a time of darkness, a time of distress. And the reason for that is, is that God was lovingly disciplining them and he was using the Assyrians to overtake the people of God. And so the people of God were kind of a province of Assyria. They didn't have the freedom. They were captives in their own land. And they had experienced a national defeat because the entire country had been overridden. Things were chaotic. The temple was in ruins. The people's lives were in ruins. And yet what we're reading about is the faithfulness of God to his people. And so what we see is everything that could go wrong is going wrong. The people were disobedient. They're being disciplined. They're in captivity. All of these things. And it kind of goes back to the last verse in chapter 8 which says, Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. So imagine, no matter how bad you think it is, it was ten times worse than that. But then chapter 9 begins with this amazing word. If you've got your Bibles or if you've got your phones, look at the very first word in chapter 9. Nevertheless. I love that word. God is saying, I know that it's gloom. I know that it's doom. I know that it's chaos. I know that things are bad. I know that things have been bad. I know it looks like things are going to be bad. But God says, nevertheless. Which means despite that. 
You don't need to worry about that. It's not about looking back. It's not even about looking at your present. It's about looking forward. God says, nevertheless, I know how bad things have been. I know how hard it seems. I know it seems like it'll never, ever get better. But then God comes along and he says that word, nevertheless. Friends, I don't know about you, but that word brings me a lot of hope. Because if your life is turned upside down, if nothing seems to be going right, if your world is in chaos, if your heart is filled with grief and sorrow and struggle and strife, when you hear God say, nevertheless, God is saying, I know what you're going through, but I know where I'm taking you. And so there is great hope. There is great joy in that, that God says, nevertheless, of the pain and the strife and the struggle, there's hope. Turn to somebody next to you and just say, nevertheless, to them. Now turn to the next person and say, nevertheless. I want to encourage you, friends. Joy is coming. Joy is coming to this world and joy will come to your life. And you have to understand, you've got to see where God is. He's saying, nevertheless. So he says to his people, nevertheless. And he talks about these two lands. Zebulun and Naphtali, they were in the northern part of the kingdom and they were the first that experienced the Assyrian invasion and they will be the first to have this new era of joy. God is saying that joy is coming. And look, friends, all of us have struggle, all of us have strife, and God talks about that people were walking in darkness. And I want us to think about that for a minute. Have you ever had to get up in the middle of the night to get a drink or to go to the bathroom? You're walking in darkness, and so you're very gentle. Now, have you ever had to do that maybe at a hotel or at somebody's house? You're extra gentle. Why? Because you don't want to fall down the steps. You don't want to bonk into something. And you know that feeling. It's a horrible feeling. You're, you're kind of trying to go very slow. Imagine living with that feeling every day of your life. That's what the people of God were going through. They were walking in the darkness. They didn't know what step, what was going to happen if they did this. What was going to happen if they did that. What were they going to bump to? How were they going to get hurt? They were living in that constant darkness. That's what sin does. It produces a darkness. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that tells us is you and I can't save ourselves. You and I can't rescue ourselves. Friends, we are all sinners. We've all fallen short. We all deserve the judgment. And God says, nevertheless, joy is coming in Jesus, in the Messiah, in the Savior. We cannot save ourselves. So God says those who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. See, that darkness of sin convinces us of things like somehow being religious will lead us out of the darkness of sin, and it won't. Somehow doing good works will lead us out of the darkness of sin, and it won't. Sometimes it convinces us of myths, like, well, all people go to heaven if they're good and nice. Those are lies. They won't lead us out of the light. The only thing that leads us out of the darkness and into the light is Jesus. He will lead you and I out of whatever darkness you and I are struggling with, whatever chaos, whatever distress, whatever problems that we have. The light is Jesus, and he will lead us out into the darkness. And only will he lead us out into the darkness and into the light, but we become part of the light. We become children of the light. It says this, For you were once in darkness, but now you are in light. Live in, now you're in the light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We are not just led out of the dark and into the light. We are led into the light of being a part of a family. That's why Isaiah says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. So it wasn't just going to be Jewish Christians. It would be Gentile Christians who would be engrafted into the family of God. Friends, that's you and me. There is joy because you and I get to be a part of the family of God, because you and I get to be children of the light, not because of anything we've done, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because God came to rescue us. He came to rescue us from the darkness of sin and religion and good works and myths to say, I love you and I have come to save you. Joy at Christmas is knowing that other people are coming to know Jesus. Joy at Christmas is to know there is redemption in Jesus. Joy at Christmas is to know that God came to rescue you. He came for you. We sometimes think that God came for this ambiguous amount of people. He came for you. He knew your name and he came to save you. That's got to produce joy, the kind of joy that, that Isaiah talks about here, like when you have a great harvest. Or when a warrior is, is dividing up the plunder. There is joy in that. Friends, this is the season of joy. Not because there are Black Friday deals or buy one, get one. There is joy because you and I can be rescued. But the rescue that we have comes with something else. It comes with victory. Have you ever experienced victory in life? Maybe it was on an athletic team. Maybe it was in a business setting. Have you ever felt like, hey, I'm a part of a winning side. I won. There's victory. But that victory is fleeting. Sometimes we chase fleeting victory. Sometimes we accept a fleeting victory. But what we learn here is that God's victory is eternal. It is victory over our enemies, and it is victory over the oppressor's weapons against us. It reminds me of a story from the book of Judges, Gideon. And once again, the people of God have found themselves living in strife because of their disobedience to God. God used the Midianites to discipline and essentially hold the people of God hostage for seven years. It was so bad, the people of God lived in caves. And any time they would go out and try to plant crops, the Midianites would come and they would pluck them up. Seven years they lived in fear. They live like it was never going to get better. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're living your life in fear of something right now, of what is or what might come. And so God sends an angel to Gideon and says, greetings, mighty warrior. And Gideon's looking around like, who are you talking to? God says, I'm talking to you. But Gideon says, I am the smallest man from the smallest clan. There is no hope for me. There's no hope for us. And God says, watch me work. The Midianite army was 120,000 strong. They were trained. They had weapons. And what God kept doing to Gideon is he kept saying, make the army smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where Gideon had 300 men going up against 120,000 men. And they didn't have the weapons that the Midianites have. And God says, I know it seems hopeless. I know it seems dark. I know you believe that you can't, but watch me work. And God gave them victory. God can give us victory. God can rescue us when the odds are against us. God will rescue us when it looks like there's no way we could possibly have victory because there is victory in Jesus Christ. There is victory in Christmas. There is victory over oppression 
and there is victory over the oppressor's tools. Listen to what God says right here. He says that not only will there be victory over the oppressors, he says the yoke that burdens them, the bar across the shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. I don't know what the tools of oppression are in each of your lives, but God will defeat them. For some, it's financial. For some, it's relational. For some, it's their past. For some, it's the fear of the future. God will defeat those tools that the enemy uses to try to take our joy. The enemy will always try to attack, will always try to tell us why we shouldn't be joyful. This isn't going to work out, the enemy whispers in our ear. There's no way you can overcome these obstacles. You're going to lose this battle. But God says, I will give you an eternal victory. Sometimes life can be intimidating. Sometimes the odds can be intimidating. But God says this. He says, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel to the fire. Armies used to wear boots and when they would march into a town, they would stomp their boots so that the people knew this great army was coming. It was used to intimidate them. They'd often take blood-stained clothes and they would bring them in to show their previous victory to intimidate those they were coming to attack. It was used for tools for intimidation. How often in life are we intimidated? How often do we feel overwhelmed like we can't defeat an army? But what does God say? He says that will just be fuel for the fire of joy. God says you will have victory when you trust in me. You'll have victory over your fears, your worries, your doubts, your anxiety, your stress. It'll be fuel for your fire. So here's a hard question. What is the fuel to your fire of joy in life? What's the fuel to your fire that brings you joy? Is it of divine origin or is it of worldly origin? Because if it is of worldly origin, that fire will flicker out. But if your fuel for the fire of joy in your life and in your heart is knowing that God came to rescue you, that God loves you, that God created you, that God is going to redeem you, that God sent his only son for you, that will produce a joy in you. That'll be a fuel to your fire that whatever battles you face, you know that God is going to give you victory. Whatever is oppressing you, you know that God is going to give you victory. And that's where our joy comes from, friends. We sing joy to the world. The joy to the world is that God said Christmas is a rescue story. The world will tell us it's all about retail. The Bible tells us it's all about rescue. So God says, no, I can give you eternal victory. Probably the most well-known part of our text. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to, a, to us a son is given. I don't know if you've ever picked this up. But Isaiah is talking about future events in the past tense. None of this has happened yet. You go back to verse 2, and it just says, the people have seen a great light. They haven't seen it yet. They haven't seen it yet. For unto us a child is given, a child is born, a son is given. Those are future events in past tense. God is promising the people that joy is coming. See, it's about rescue. I want to read you what Paul wrote. Paul says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, Christmas is a rescue story. Isaiah is saying joy is coming. 
Joy is coming for us when Jesus returns, when the rescue mission is complete, when he comes back. And he promises us that joy is coming. Probably the most well-known verse about this is Isaiah 7.14. It says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God rescuing us. And when you look at what Isaiah is, is, is telling us, what God is teaching us through Isaiah, for it says, For unto us a child is born. That is the human side of Jesus. Remember, he was fully human and fully God. To us a son is given. That is the divine part. So we see the human part and the divine part of God in sending his only son to us. And, and, and we know that Jesus is divine of nature and divine origins because of the way he's described. Only a rescuer of eternal proportion can be described this way. I want you to hear these words. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Those are names of divine origin. You can't attach those things to any human being. No human being could be called a wonderful counselor, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. That is divine of nature. And when you think about what those name, names mean, wonderful counselor, wisdom beyond human capability. God's wisdom in the Bible is greater than any wisdom, any pastor, any teacher, anybody can tell you. It's God's wisdom. How about mighty God? No one is greater than God. No country, no leader, no person, nothing. Nothing is greater than God. Number three, everlasting Father. He's the benevolent protector who cares for his people. God cares for us even when we mess up. God came to rescue us even though we're disobedient. He's a benevolent father. And the prince of peace brings peace to the nation because people rely on his wisdom. Peace can only come through God. So much about Christmas is focused on retail when the truth is it's about rescue. And you and I have probably heard and read and even studied this passage many times in our life. But there was something that jumped at me when I was going through this that I hadn't seen, maybe you have. And it says this. And the government will be on his shoulders. I want you to think about that for a second. If the government is representative of all of the different things in life, the government is on his shoulders. We carry around so much on our shoulders. We try to carry around the burdens of life, the burdens of our past, our struggles. We try to carry it on our shoulders. We try to be responsible for our future, for our kids' future, for our grandparents' future on our shoulders. We try to figure out the problems in our life with our marriage, with our finances, with our future on our shoulders. We weren't built to carry that on our shoulders. It's on his. Friends, it's a rescue story that we are rescued from having to carry around the burdens and the problems and the worry and the stress of our life. Put it on his shoulders. That's why he was sent. We are, we are freed from the burden of trying to be good enough for God. Man, I don't know about you, but I struggled and sometimes still do. I want to be good enough for God. And if I just do this, I'm good enough for you, God, right? Am I good enough, God? See, I'm taking that burden on that I can never meet. God says, put it on the shoulders of my son. Whatever burden you're carrying around, maybe it's of your past, maybe it's of your present, maybe you're worried about your future, don't carry that burden around. Give it to God. Let him carry around. Be freed from trying to be good enough. 
That's where the joy comes at Christmas because we realize we're rescued. We're rescued from the burdens of trying to please God and be good enough that we put our faith in Jesus. We're good enough. These are a lot of presents. And I'm sure any of the kids that are here are thinking that's about half of what I'm going to get Christmas morning, right? All kids think they should get double this. Kids think the presents should keep coming and keep coming and should never stop. Now, we know that there's a point where those presents will stop on Christmas morning. But you know that the gift that Jesus gives us never has to stop? Isaiah is talking not just about the first coming of Christ. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. The consummation of the rescue story. That we will be with Jesus forever. And the joy that we have will be everlasting. There's nothing like seeing your kids open a present Christmas morning and the joy that they have. And you want to capture that moment. You want to live in that joy forever. It's the opposite of walking in the darkness, right? It's that moment of, I kids love it. And yes, I think I so wanted this. We have a joy that will last for eternity when we understand that Christmas isn't about retail, but it's about rescue. God came to rescue you, rescue you from whatever problems that you have. And in doing so, I want to tell you a little bit about what Christmas gives us. Number one, joy comes from the expansion. We should be joyful when God expands the kingdom and more people come to know the joy of Jesus this Christmas. Number two, deliverance. You and I are delivered from sin's oppression. We are rescued from the penalty and power of sin. And number three, we get relief. It's not on our shoulders. It's on his shoulders. There is such joy at Christmas. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. And as they come back up, you know, as we go through, and look, I know there's going to be a lot of shopping, a lot of wrapping, a lot of presents. But we, the people of God, can't lose sight of what Christmas is about. We sang that song, it's a rescue story. God hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on you in any way. He hasn't given up on you as an individual, as a married couple, as a family. God has not given up on you. So there are three things I want to ask you to, to wrestle with this week. Number one, have you seen the light of Christmas? It's a searchlight. It's a searchlight. God is looking for you. God wants you to come into the light and know that he will save you. Number two, what do you want delivered this Christmas? Just gifts or grace? We'll all have gifts delivered this Christmas. Or do you want the gift of grace? Then trust in Jesus. And number three, whose shoulders do you put the weight of life on? Are you trying to carry all that weight around of your past, of your present, of your future, of your mistakes? Or are you saying, I'm going to put it on the shoulders of Jesus because I understand that Christmas is not about retail. It's about rescue. Amen?